You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right, Bear Down Bears fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and I am fired up, fired up, the Chicago Bears win again, and the Chicago Bears are in first place, thanks to that spanking that Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks put on Aaron Rodgers' And the Green Bay Packers. The Chicago Bears sit in first place for all you 3 and 13, 4 and 12 believers out there. Middle finger is highly raised because the Chicago Bears are in first place. Have I mentioned the Chicago Bears are in first place in the NFC North and are currently sitting at the two seed just behind the Seattle Seahawks? Plenty of football left, too much, way too early to talk about the seeding. But the fact of the matter is, the Chicago Bears, if I hadn't mentioned, are in first place. We are going to be joined today by Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus. Brad's a great guy to talk to, really good insight on what he's seeing on the field. We'll also talk about the cap a little bit and where the Bears are spending money and where the Bears can, you know, spend money in the future. Brad's a really guy to talk to in the offseason. Look, the Bears are in an interesting situation next year with how they're starting to construct some of these contracts and when the bill is going to become due for all that. So we'll talk to him about that a little bit, but we'll mostly focus on this year because why not? The Chicago Bears are in first place. Now, this Carolina Panthers game, look, the Bears got it done again. It may not have been pretty again, but they got it done thanks to this defense that is really starting to come together. Not that the defense was bad early. Obviously, the defense has been good all season, but you're starting to see a different aspect of this defense. You're starting to see this defense, I think, have a little more confidence in the offense. So they'll pin their ears back a little bit more, go after the quarterback, be a little more aggressive, trying to make plays. That's the 2018 swagger we needed. We saw it come back against Tampa. It stayed against Carolina. The front four is getting to the quarterback. I need Robert Quinn to start doing something. I know he's getting close, but right now he's still a situational pass rusher. He's out there on less than 50% of the snaps. I really need to see Robert Quinn starting to get home and starting to make an impact. There's no excuses for him. Max out there. Hicks is out there. There's not that much focus. So Robert Quinn, I really need to see a little bit more there, but I'm not going to complain about this defense. Roquan Smith was an animal. He was all over the place. That's the Roquan Smith we need to see every week. That's who Ryan Pace drafted. That's the guy that was a top 10 pick. That's the guy the Chicago Bears need every week week. I expect big things, big things from Robert Quinn and this front four moving forward. This whole group, Jalen Johnson, Kyle Fuller, 
Eddie Jackson, this whole group. I really think they're going to start coming together and really start really becoming an elite defense again. That's what I like to see. Offensively, I was disappointed. I understand the Bears did enough, but I was disappointed because I thought this team was going to be able to run against the Carolina Panthers, and they could not. We had another poor running performance against the Carolina Panthers team that you can run against. This front four is, you know, that, that, that Panthers up front, that D-line, not very good. They don't get home to the quarterback. They don't stop the run very well. I really thought the Bears were going to start doing, I wasn't expecting 40 points, but I was expecting this team to push up to 30 points against this defense, and I just didn't see it. That was disappointing. But the fact of the matter is they still scored 23 points, and look, this Bears defense isn't going to be giving up more than 20 points a game. So if the Bears offense can average 24 points a game moving forward, they're going to win a lot of football games. That's the focus. That's what you need out of this offense. Yeah, we take 38 points. 24. That's what the Bears need to do. 24 points a game. They hit that number basically with 23 points. So hopefully that's going to happen moving forward. But I really expected this offense to be better. But the one thing that I will highlight here for the offense is the lack of three and outs. That is a really, really important aspect to this offense that's happened the last couple weeks that I'm seeing more of is the, the reduction in the three and outs. And that's really important. And for me, with the Mitch Trubisky teams, when you didn't have consistency on the offense, you were loaded with three and outs, just loaded with the three and outs. There were plenty of times, plenty of times where the Bears, it seemed either did a three and out or scored points. And most of the time it's three and outs, obviously, because the offense was usually only putting up 17 points. So when you're not consistently putting drives together, you're keeping the defense out on the field, they're gonna tire, they're gonna have problems. What I'm seeing now is two first downs before they punt. That's not that exciting, but it's more important than you think. Because if you're starting on your own 20, 25 yard line, you put together a couple first downs and get to midfield and that's where you stall now you can pin the def the offense, the opponent, inside the 10. The defense goes out there, does its thing. They punt it right back. Now you're starting again at midfield. You can win the field position battle and put up points that way. And that's what we saw the Bears do a lot more against Carolina and some against Tampa. So while it's ugly, while it's not what you want to see out of the offense, it's at least a step in the right direction. Win the field position battle. Win the time of possession battle. That's something they did in 2018, even with Trubisky, was get the time of possession, keep the clock moving. And a lot of times it happened with Trubisky's legs, where, you know, on second and eight, Trubisky would get it to third and two and it was manageable, or Trubisky would convert with his legs on third and four. That was the kind of stuff that was keeping the offense moving was Trubisky's legs. And for those of us who were believing in Trubisky at the time, we sat there and said, let Trubisky's legs keep this offense going while he figures out everything from their shoulders up. And of course that didn't happen. So Nick Foles, Nick Foles isn't going to do that type of, you know, Nick Foles will get a first down maybe once every couple of games with his legs, but Nick Foles isn't going to run that kind of offense. And that's fine. They don't need him to. They need Nick Foles to actually read and see what he's, you know, what, what the defense is doing and react to it and, and, and handle it properly. And we are seeing that more with Nick Foles. So, I think the offense is moving in the right direction, but they certainly aren't moving in the direction, the right direction quick enough for my liking. I really thought this Carolina game, we were going to see more from this offense, and we didn't. 
So it's a little frustrating there. And this Rams game coming up, this defense is a good defense. This defensive line is going to give the Bears offensive line all sorts of fits. I'm already having waking up in cold sweats about what Aaron Donald's going to do to Coward or Bars. That's a nightmare of a matchup. So I've, I've got concerns about this Rams game, but this, you know, but the, both defenses are really good. Both offenses aren't exactly lighting up the sky. So this is going to be a low-scoring game. That's going to be a tough one. We'll ask Brad Spielberger about that matchup as well. But before we get to Brad, I have one thing on my mind I got to talk about, and that is Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy is 23 and 13. But yet, the amount of Bears fans that want to trash this guy boggles my mind. And I get it. I'm not saying Matt Nagy should not be criticized. If you want to criticize Matt Nagy about him throwing the ball on third and two, when if he ran the ball, he could get 40 seconds off the clock or have the other team burn a timeout, you know, at the, at the end of a game, you can criticize. I'm not going to argue that. You want to criticize some of the play calling, some of the offensive design, that's fine. I'm not saying Matt Nagy does not have flaws. I'm not saying Matt Nagy is an elite coach. But this Matt Nagy criticism to the point that Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace need to be fired at the end of the year, and, and the arguments for it, I don't understand. Ryan Pace hasn't put enough talent on the field. All right, if that's your belief, then yes, Ryan Pace needs to be fired. But why should Matt Nagy be fired? Because he's being bailed out by the defense. The only reason they're any good is because of the defense. You mean the defense that Ryan Pace built up from scratch, where all he had was Kyle Fuller, but still had the wherewithal to make sure he re-signed Kyle Fuller. Every other person on that defense is someone that Ryan Pace brought in. So I'm not saying Ryan Pace is, is, is a brilliant GM that should get a 10-year extension either. I'm not saying Ryan Pace doesn't have issues with offensive you know, offensive analysis and get, getting the right offensive players in there. He clearly hasn't because this offense hasn't gotten to the level. But, but let, me, let me say a couple of things here that, that are on my mind about this. First of all, there is more to Matt Nagy, the head coach, than which play he calls on second and eight. And I understand he's an offensive coach, so that's where the focus is going to be. But you cannot just stare at Matt Nagy's, what, what the offense does on, on third and four, and just say, well, he's not a good coach. Matt Nagy is a great leader of men. Matt Nagy has created a fantastic, fantastic locker room and a vibe around this team. The players love this team. They're relaxed. They're having fun. Even last year, when this team was struggling, this team was not playing at the level it expected, especially coming off that 12-4 and four year, that team was on the cusp of crumbling. That's why they felt like a 4-12 team, a 5-11 team. They were on the cusp of crumbling all the time. But Nagy kept them together and kept them playing hard until the end of the season. And when they started, you know, when they beat Detroit and beat Dallas, they at least were in the hunt for the playoffs in December, no matter how bad they were playing. And to just dismiss that aspect of Matt Nagy, the head coach, just bothers me to no end. I just, I just can't take the fact People just think that whatever play call, man, that's all he does. That's not what he does. He's the head coach of the football team. He's the head coach of the football team. He's 23 and 13 as the head coach of this football team the last two and a half years, and you guys want to crush him. You want to crush Ryan Pace for blowing, blowing it with Mitch Trubisky? A hundred percent. You want to crush Ryan Pace for not getting enough 
on, on the offensive side of the football, that's fine. You want to crush Ryan Pace for not handling the Allen Robinson extension? There's reasons to crush Ryan Pace, but you also have to look at the positives of Ryan Pace, and that is the defense that he built, that he put together. A defense that a couple years ago when they wanted to criticize Ryan Pace, it was always all about Vic Fangio. Well, Fangio's gone. And Fangio's doing a good job with that Broncos defense, by the way, this year. But Fangio's gone, so they bring in Chuck Pagano. Where you're still going to say, well, now it's just it's all Chuck Pagano? I mean, you have to give people credit. People can be good at certain things and bad at certain things. Why are we so obsessed with absolutes? Ryan Pace is either great or he needs to be fired. Matt Nagy's either great or he needs to be fired. Can they both be good at their jobs? Good is okay. We want great. But maybe they can develop into great if people aren't ripping their heads off every chance they get. And keep in one other thing about this offense. All right? You got to keep in mind this is a salary cap sport. And when you look at the defensive side of the football and you look at Eddie Jackson, who's getting big dollars next year, when you look at Kyle Fuller, who got paid, when you look at you know, Danny Trevathan, who made a decent, decent buck, Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack making over $20 million a year on the average value of that, of that contract. These guys got paid. Eddie Goldman got a big contract. When you're going to keep the defense together and put dollars on the defense, you don't have as many dollars on the offense. So, yeah, so Cody Whitehair got a pretty good contract. Allen Robinson got a pretty good contract. There's not a lot of big contracts on this offense. They didn't get a $20 million a year left tackle because they didn't have the money. So they got an $11 million a year left tackle which is about the average slot for a left tackle. So when Tr when Charles Leno is average, people are complaining that he's not Anthony Munoz. Well, he's not getting paid to be Anthony Munoz. He's getting paid to be Charles Leno. Bobby Massey's getting paid to be Bobby Massey. That's the problem here. He's not Art Shell. That's the problem. You, you can't sit here and, and complain that players aren't elite at their positions when the dollars aren't available on the offensive side of the football to spend because this team spent on defense. They spent on defense. This is a defensive team because they, you know, they built up the defense. They spent on the defense. So the dollars aren't there to spend on offense. They're, you know, they'll, they'll make do, but they don't have, you know, most NFL teams spend more money. The Bears are in the bottom 10 or 12 in terms of offensive spending the last three or four years because they don't have the money. They're in a tight salary cap, and they're still not spending on the offense. It shows you how much they're spending on the defense. So don't sit here and constantly complain about Matt Nagy's offense because Matt Nagy doesn't have the personnel. Now, you again, you want to talk about Ryan Pace not evaluating right on the offensive side of the football? Maybe David Montgomery wasn't the right guy. He's okay, but he's certainly not a superstar. You want to complain about some of the other offensive draft picks, the Adam Shaheen disaster, the Mitch Trubisky disaster. I, I get all that, and that's fine. I'm not sitting here and saying that Ryan Pace is a perfect GM, but Ryan Pace did put together the defense that bails out Matt Nagy all the time. So I don't quite understand the argument of Bears fans. You want to say Ryan Pace put together a defense, but struggles offensively. If you want to say Matt Nagy is a great head coach, but isn't what I thought he would be offensively, that's okay. These guys are worthy of criticism, but to trash them, this Matt, fire Matt Nagy? What is, I don't understand that. You know, I put out a tweet, I blew up, and I don't know really why. I said Matt Nagy's been the fourth best head coach the Bears have had since World War II, which I do think is accurate, even though he's only been here two and a half years. But he's at that level because 
you just don't start off 23 and 13. And when I put that tweet out, the amount of people going, well, it's the defense that's bailing him out. The defense was already there. He had nothing to do with it. Guys, he's the head coach. I, I just I just go over and over and over in my head that the fact that because Matt Nagy didn't make the right play call against the Chargers last year, that he's a terrible head coach. He has flaws. Andy Reid can't handle the end of a game. Everyone loves Andy Reid, and they should. He's a great offensive mind. He's won a Super Bowl now. He wins 12 games every year. Andy Reid's a great coach. But Andy Reid with three minutes to go and two timeouts and you tell him to manage the end of the football game, he's going to blow it. That's not what he's good at. And he's a great head coach. Coaches have flaws. Matt Nagy is still young. He's going to keep getting better as a head coach. But the fact of the matter is, is he's winning football games with Mitch Trubisky, Chase Daniel, and Nick Foles. And he's 23 and 13. And if people don't recognize that that's an accomplishment, then there's no point to even have a conversation with football with you about football with you. There just isn't. So I can't take, take the trashing naggy constantly all the time. You want to criticize him and come to me objectively and let's talk about Matt Nagy's pros and cons? Let's do it. But to sit here and argue that he should be fired? Enough. I can't handle that anymore. I had a guy tweet me that he's no different than Mark Tressman. Are you kidding me? He's the same as Tressman? At that point, I should just get off Twitter and I should stop a podcast. If there's more than one Bears fan in the world that thinks Matt Nagy and Mark Tressman are on equal ground, it's a, just an asinine statement. But I digress. Wanted to get that off my chest. Stop trashing Nagy. Let's, let's look at him objectively. Let's analyze him objectively. Let's look at the pros and the cons. But let's at least take a step back and recognize that the last three years, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are 23 and 13 and looking this year to potentially win a division and get back in the playoffs. Take a minute and don't stop sitting there thinking that they're winning for whatever the reason is. Yeah, I want to keep saying the defense. Fine. I'm not saying the defense isn't great. But at the, the same people that want to say the defense is the only reason the team is any good are still the people who are trashing Ryan Pace saying he's a terrible GM. So... You can't win. It's one of those things. Just wanted to get that off my chest because Matt Nagy is a good head coach. He is not a great head coach, but he is a good head coach who deserves credit for how much this team has won the last two and a half years. Now, I've babbled enough. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus joins us next. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. Here's our guest. He is at PFF underscore Brad, also known as Brad Spielberg from a pro football focus. We're going to talk some bears and, and plenty of stuff coming up here. Brad, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing? Doing fantastic. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun things to talk about. Re-Bears, for sure. Yeah, how about the Bears? I mean, let's let's start right here with this, uh, this football team that only has one loss and has overachieved. Even, I think, the most optimistic Bears analysts thought nine and seven, you know, and, and that's not to say there's no guarantee the Bears are on their way to an 11 and five season, but I don't think many people saw them with this kind of record at this point in the season. So yourself and maybe even pro football focus, do they think the bears are good or are they in the paper tiger category? I mean, I definitely think that everyone has to re- kind of readjust their priors uh, around the Chicago bears. I do think not to you know make an excuse for myself or my, my coworkers, but we, you know, we were told Trubisky was a starter. So a lot of our projections for the season were based on that being the case. Um, but anyways, even so, obviously, you know, they didn't necessarily lose games with Trubisky um, somehow. Uh, but yeah, so I think the big thing is that the defense, we knew coming in that if the CB2 situation and if the safety situation opposite Eddie Jackson was, was shaky, then maybe they would have been vulnerable on defense. And then you, you have some serious question marks. But for Jalen Johnson to hit the ground running as well as he has, and for, for Tashawn Gibson to be arguably better than HaHa Clinton Dix already, that kind of closed that that one major concern. And, and so if the defense is a 2018 defense, there's no reason not to think they can have a similar record this year. All right, well, let, let's start on the defensive side of the ball since you went there, because pretty much every one of these interviews I've been doing starts with Nick Foles, Mitch Trubisky. So let, let's start on the defensive side, do something a little different. Let's start with Roquan Smith, who put together a hell of a performance against Carolina, but has been inconsistent to say the least. And look, the the highs have been plenty high. That's not to knock Roquan that he's a quality NFL player, but to live to top 10 billing and what you need out of an inside backer. We haven't seen that on a consistent basis. In fact, we've seen him getting stonewalled in the hole, spin moves, missing, missing some tackles that he needs to make. But Carolina different story. Could we see Roquan really blossoming into the linebacker the Bears need him to be in terms of sure tackling and coverage ability? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been very critical of him because um, like you said, most importantly, you got to look at it as not just how is the inside linebacker, but how is a top 10 draft pick inside linebacker? Um, he has. He's starting to string some really good games together. Carolina is was his highest coverage grade of his career uh, in the regular season. He actually had his best game in every category was actually the playoff game uh, against Philadelphia. But um, so that's really encouraging to see. I mean, the Panthers have, you know, weapons all over the place on offense. And, and he made a couple of great plays against receivers, you know, against Mike Davis. He was all over the place. Um, and and we had, he did struggle early in the year, but that actually was something we saw across the NFL um, was that kind of, you know, off-ball linebackers in week one were the, posi- the position most affected by the limited offseason. So he, unlike Danny Trevathan, has now really taken off and shown that that was just some rust and whatnot. But he, he's looking like, like the guy we were hoping to see. Um, I agree with you. Still got to finish some of those tackles. But, you know, obviously getting in the backfield is, is half the battle as well. So if he can wrap guys up and make some of those tackles for losses, then he's starting to play like the guy that we need him to be going forward. 
All right. Well, since you brought up Danny Trevathan, let's let's go jump across to Danny Trevathan. We saw how bad he was to start the year. We saw them starting to change up some, you know, Pagano changing up defensive personnel, Deion Bush getting in there a lot. Now Bush is banged up. So Trevathan's back out there for more snaps. Have you seen a substantial improvement in Danny's players? There's still a lot of concern. So he's gotten a bit better um, in the things that he, we always knew he was good at, right? So he's going to shed blocks. He's going to create a lot of, he's obviously going to let Roquan roam free uh, and kind of let him operate in space more. So that's getting there for sure. But at this point, I think even the Bears are telling us that he's going to be coming off the field, you know, on, in obvious passing situations. You mentioned Deion Bush, you know, he's been out for the last two weeks and I think he's supposed to be out again this Monday. And even still, DeAndre Houston Carson was coming in the game. Um, they just added Marquis Christian back to their practice squad for the second time. So they're clearly not super comfortable with him on passing downs. But the thing about it is, is the decision, I think, between Trevathan and, and Kwiatkowski was Trevathan is a leader on this defense, and he's the guy that we think can help Roquan become the guy with the green dot in his helmet, which he now is, become the guy that is calling the plays, running the defense, all those intangibles. Danny was supposed to help Roquan do that, and, and we're seeing that as well. So definitely trending strongly positive after a really you know concerning start. Let's let's jump into the secondary. Let's start with Kyle Fuller, who very pleased with how he's looked. I mean, this is not a guy who's going to be tracking down 12 interceptions. That's not his style, but pass breakups. He's sticky, not afraid to come in and run. We've seen some some big hits from Kyle, which you know, I've even seen some people talk about that Kyle Fuller is almost too aggressive to play in the modern day NFL with, with some, somehow he does. And I don't think that's really unfair because, you know, we, we've, we've seen how much they're cracking down with, with that kind of stuff for you. And for, I'll even say pro football focus, where does, where do you see Kyle Fuller, not just how he's playing for the bears, but across NFL corners across the board. Yeah. So, I mean, Kyle Fuller was, was one of the top, you know, five or 10 cornerbacks in 2018, you know, per PFF, and I think 2019 was a bit of a down year. I think some of the advanced numbers liked him, but, I, you know, I think uh, you could tell it was not the same, uh, you know, Kyle Fuller from 2018. And 2020 looks, again, like 2018 Kyle Fuller. You know, you mentioned the, the aggressive play, and it, there is that edge you see with him sometimes where he just seems to kind of flip a switch, and, and he's just a mercenary out there. I mean, Arguably, his two best plays of the season are both when he got penalized. I mean, the, the one last week I thought was one of the best, cleanest, like, you know, pure football tackles I've seen in a long time. Yeah. So for him to catch that flag just sucked, not even for, like, the Bears and the game, just more so, like, this is teach tape on how you want to tell an NFL cornerback to cleanly come over the middle, you know, sort of a defenseless receiver, but he let him, in my opinion, become not defenseless. It was pure shoulders to shoulder, no head contact. Again, you know, does he need to work on doing that less and less? Sadly, that may be the case in, in today's NFL, but I personally have no issue with it. I, I hope he continues in that regard. I think he's, I mean, stoking the fear in some guys because we're starting to see, you know, he's, he's being targeted less because he got targeted a million times last year. You were seeing that come down a bit. And yeah, across the league, he's, he's pushing up into that, you know, upper elite echelon once again. How about uh, Eddie Jackson while we're in the secondary who has been either – the subject of bad calls or just, you know, a hairpin early on a, being able to make a couple big plays. I'm not one to sit here and blame officials, but sometimes you do sit there and go, oh, you, you know, you cringe a little bit. Eddie Jackson, I mean, obviously he's, he's still playing well. He's still making an impact on the field. 
are you looking there going bad break from the officials or on, on some of those plays, the potential pick six, couple interceptions, do you think Kyle, or Kyle, do you think Eddie was, was a hairpin early there? I know, I, I can't think specifically which, but I know for one of them, I agreed that, that he was a bit early and I, I didn't mind it getting taken back, but was it, was it again this week as well? There was one where I thought yeah, it was bad. A, the past week I thought it was bad. I, I was okay with the first one. Agreed. So we're on the same page there. And I really thought, and, and as he mentioned, it's happened like four times his career now. So if it happens once, like I'm with you, I don't, I, I try not to blame the rest for anything, but when it keeps happening week, week after week, then eventually it's like, all right, give this guy a break. He, he's playing well. Um, I think he came out of the gate a little bit slow, um, but I think that it probably had something to do with, you know, Pagano shifting how they're going to use their guys, you know, with Gibson. I think Gibson is a different player than Haha Clinton Dix, but even more so, I think, you know, regardless of what you think about Prince of Mukamara and his talent right now in 2020, I'm sure Pagano was more comfortable, like, leading him on an island and doing certain things with him than he was going to be with Jalen Johnson in the first week of his NFL career. So the last couple of weeks, Eddie, is, you can tell that they're giving him more of that roam-free role, which is obviously when he's at his best. And I think you're going to start to see his, you know, grades and all that as well, you know, continue to, to, to climb in a, in a very positive direction. All right. Well, you brought up Jalen Johnson a couple of times. So let's go there. Obviously a great rookie campaign at this point, but to be objective did get exposed a couple of times against Carolina. And that's obviously going to happen at, for any, any rookie at any point. It's not a linear growth as we all know, but for you with Jalen Johnson, is this just rookie growing pains or sometimes is Pagano putting him in a situation where he's, you know, in, in certain coverages or whatever, where he's not at his strengths. I really do think this past Sunday um, was really just almost the Bears. I wouldn't say giving giving the Panthers, you know, that option, but but it seemed like Jalen was isoed on DJ Moore a lot, and, and DJ Moore is a very good NFL wide receiver. Um, but like all of it was underneath, right? So like, yes, he was getting beaten, and, and there were a couple of plays with some some yards after the catch, but. I think he was playing off man and, and they just kind of fed DJ Moore on, you know, crossers and, and six, seven yard routes. So that's kind of what was happening to Colorado last year. In my opinion, you take that. I think the bears are so good on defense where limiting explosive plays is really like all that matters at the end of the day. If, if teams are going to try and dink and dunk on them down the field, it's not going to work like many drives in a game. It might result in one or two touchdowns here or there, but it's not going to win games for teams against them. So I think, they're trusting Jalen and they're giving him tough responsibilities and tough assignments and kind of Pagano saying, Hey, let, I'm going to let you sink or swim because it's going to make you better. And I think everything we've heard from Jalen Johnson, that's, I'm sure he loves that. And that's the kind of guy he is. Like he wants that, that, that attention, you know, and, and all that. So. All right. Up front, Dan Orlovsky said that the bears have the best front four in football and that that's going to get them to the postseason. Would you agree with that assessment? Let's start there. I think they're in the conversation, but to me, Pittsburgh still is just, I mean, on another level. Um, a big part of that, though, is, is obviously the loss of Eddie Goldman, so that, that kind of knocks the Bears down a bit. But I think what Orlovsky was getting at, which is true, is that Bilal Nichols brings another pass rush element that, you know, again, Eddie's phenomenal and, and brings so much value, but what, not his game. And so now when you have a fourth defensive lineman, you know, interior guy, and you're cycling through Roy Roberts and Harris and all of that. I think on like a on a person to person basis, I think you could argue that. But in my opinion, Dupree, Watt, Hayward, and Tuit and Alawalu in Pittsburgh, I don't think it gets better than that. All right, that's that's fair. Now, Robert Quinn isn't putting up gaudy numbers at this point. If you look at some advanced numbers, you see he's getting close. 
is Robert Quinn, are you concerned with what you've seen through six games or is this just a guy who's missed a lot of training camp and is still working his way through things and we're going to see that Robert Quinn breakout where he has six sacks in four games kind of a thing? I think it's the latter. I really do. Um, you know, we, we obviously didn't have a lot of information about what he was dealing with all offseason until finally he ended up on the report for an ankle issue. And I mean, to be honest, he, I didn't think he was very good the first couple of games he played. Um, but I'm, I'm willing to, you know, it was a low snap count and I'm willing to assume that he was not at 100 um, percent. And as you mentioned, some of the numbers aren't quite there yet. But this past week he had like six pressures, I think. Um, so yes, that is eventually going to convert into, you know, him closing with a sack or, or a, a QB hurry and stuff like that. And honestly, I mean, this Sunday, I mean, Leonard Floyd's going to be out there on the other side, but this Sunday is going to show us, okay, is this the week where you see why the bears said we need a second edge rusher? I mean, Khalil Mack might be dealing with Andrew Whitworth, who's a you know hall of fame left tackle. Can Robert Quinn beat Rob Havenstein on the other side? I mean, that, that could be the difference in the game. So let's hope that, you know, it's coming. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. And Leonard Floyd, I think he has a chip on his shoulder. I think he circled this game. This isn't just a, he was let go. I mean, this was a team that committed to him for a fifth-year option, rescinded it. He is a good football player. I'm not saying he's anywhere near his draft status where he was, but this guy, he was drafted to be a pass rusher. That's not what he became. But this guy's a good football player. He's good in coverage. He's, he can set the edge for the run. Uh, he had a really good game this, this past week. Floyd's a talented player, and I do think Floyd is going to be, you know, have, have a bullseye, you know, in, in his sights, and he's really – he's going to put everything forward in this game. I completely agree. I mean, not only does he obviously know this whole offensive line very well, um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's the same story with him, though. I mean, I got, the, I got a chance to watch the Rams-Niners uh, game on primetime, and he had two plays, one of which I had to tweet about. It was, like, one of the most impressive. I mean, he blew through two guys. But again, it was a run stop. It was a phenomenal run stop, but he just seems to struggle to turn the corner. Um, you know, I know he, I mean, that was kind of his one concern coming in was, was, you know, his ability to, to turn the corner with the, the three cone and that's still the case. And so I agree with you. I think he's gonna be pissed off. I wouldn't be surprised if he does get a sack or, or something like that, but I think so far you're still seeing why the move was made. I mean, it's kind of a cheap comparison, but he, he's basically like a Jadavion Clowney light where he thinks he should be getting edge rusher money, as does Clowney. And yes, they're top 10 picks, and yes, they're freak athletes, but they're, they're kind of like souped up Anthony Bars. I mean, they're not, they're not pure edge rushers. They're Sam linebackers. And so, yeah, I think the move is a little bit justified so far, even though I would like to see more from Quinn. All right, let's jump to the offensive side of the ball. Let's start with the offensive line which, and sure, if you want to say it's due to competition, that's fair. But this is an offensive line to me that I was really pleased what I saw the first week. Second week was still pretty good. And they basically seem to have gotten pretty much steadily worse. I know it's not exactly consistent that way. It's not a straight line down, but it's not what we see. Now we got James Daniels is out. You know, there's plenty of questions between Bars and Coward if they can really handle that left guard position. We've got the trade deadline coming up as well. So let me ask you about the offensive line's performance at this point, and do you think the Bears need to get a left guard? Yeah, so I'm with you where I was very encouraged weeks one and two. You know, I, I kind of pushed back on this narrative that the offensive line coach was going to change everything just because, I mean, a lot of players think Harry Highstand is one of the best offensive line coaches out there. So coming into the season, I thought it was a bit of a scapegoat narrative, and then I kind of changed my opinion on that in the first couple of weeks. 
I didn't change my opinion after Colts and Bucks because I think those are two of the best front sevens in the NFL, but the Panthers have one of the worst front sevens in the entire NFL, and the Bears still couldn't get a push on any play. So I, I am extremely concerned. Um, and you mentioned getting a left guard. Forget the trade deadline, and people know I rarely say this. If the Bears haven't already called Quentin Spain, who the Bills just released a couple hours ago, left guard, um, they signed him to a three-year, $15 million deal this offseason. And, of course, if, if a guy gets released off of that, you're going to say, why would that happen? That's a huge red flag, and I get that. But the Bills have invested more in the interior offensive line the last two or three offseasons than any team in the NFL by, like, a wide margin. So I think he was just the odd man out. And I think they recognize this guy deserves to be playing somewhere. He's not in our starting lineup. So they just mutually agreed to part ways. I, I really think that, yes, Coward and Bars are not going to cut it. Um, I think they need to make a move at the deadline for a left guard. All right. Now, this offensive line, let's, let's do this for a second moving forward because I'm with you. At, look, I thought they were going to be able to run the ball in Carolina. You can run the ball in Carolina. I think they're giving up 130-some yards per game going into that game. I expected Montgomery to, you know, be having a good yards per carry average. I really thought they'd get a push, if, especially when they had a lead. I really thought they'd be able to, you know, get some first downs and keep the keep the, uh, the clock going. Really just didn't happen. So moving forward past this season, how do you, and I'm not asking for specific guys who you go after, how do you repair this offensive line? What do you do? Obviously, white, white hairs here. Daniels will be coming off his injury going into the final year of his, his rookie contract. Have to assume those guys are there. You've got Massey and Leno on the outside. Uh, Fetty's just on that one-year deal. You know, you can't just say blow up everything. That's not how the salary cap works, especially with Leno's Leno's contract, especially. But so, what what would you do this offseason to try and improve the offensive line? It is a tough question, as you mentioned. I mean, I think people. Something I've tried to stress a lot is that. I don't think Charles Leno or Bobby Massey are like elite tackles. I don't, but both of them still after six weeks this year, I, I think are on the contract they're on is actually better than uh, basically that they're both on team friendly deals, even still. So when you consider that and realize that it's hard to say, can they get a better player? Yes. Can they get a better player for a good value? Like probably not. Um, that being said, I think they should definitely, strongly consider taking a tackle in the first round this year. Um, you know, if they don't go quarterback or whatever, I think that should be very high on their list. It's not only a good class, but we've seen a lot of tackles. Sometimes it's one of the positions it takes the longest to develop. The first year for tackles can be a, a nightmare. So you, you, you know for a fact you're going to need a tackle in 2022. So I, I don't think there's any reason not to address it heavily, even if you still plan on starting Leno and Massey at tackle. Um, yeah, but I, I really don't think they're going to change that much. I think, as you mentioned, all four of those guys, Daniels, Whitehair, Leno, and Massey, I still think are starting in 2021. I do. Um, I, I think it's just going to come more to development, more to getting comfortable with Foles and, and Castillo and, and versus, you know, the old situation. But, yeah, I, I don't think they can invest a ton of resources, you know, free agency dollars on the offensive line. I really don't. All right, let's let's jump to the skill positions and, and the weapons that Nick Foles has at his at his disposal. Allen Robinson's going to do his thing. For some reason, some Bears fans on Twitter want to criticize him. I don't really quite understand why. It's not like the guy is going to catch every ball. But by the way, he has no drops this year. If you look at his numbers, Robinson's going to do his thing. But for me, right now, the Bears doesn't matter whether it's running the football, whether it's coming from the tight end, the second wide receiver spot, where wherever you want to look, 
there is not a consistent number two option on this offense. And I think I, no one wants this offense to be great. I mean, of course we do. No one expects it to be great. You just need this offense to be average to below average where it can just be consistent in terms of how many points it's putting up. Is there someone on this roster that can step up in the next 10 games and be a consistent number two threat for this offense? It's a great question. Uh, I mean, it, honestly, which is scary to say, but it's got to be fifth round rookie Darnell Mooney. Um, he's shown, you know, that he's capable. He's a really good player. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we know all about the rookie wall and all of that. So it is a bit concerning because, you know, he's, he's an undersized guy, obviously, you know, taken late in the draft. So it's a bit concerning because Anthony Miller, I mean, the snaps are going down. Um, his grades are, are kind of tanking. Um, so you got to hope so. But I mean, Jimmy Graham has proven he's pretty much just a red zone threat and nothing else. Um, and, and the rest of the guys, I think it's going to have to be by committee, to be honest. All right. How about uh, Cole Komet? I mean, this is a guy who did nothing the first few games of the season here. Starting to get his snap count jumping a little bit. Olin Krutz uh, tweeted out that he felt that this was time for Cole Komet to take over for Demetrius Harris, who Harris the last couple games has been a bit of a mess out there on whether it's in some running plays and on passing plays. So they definitely could use someone stepping up from the tight end position. I did talk to someone who played the position for a long time. And he told me, he's like, look, cut Cole Komet a break. He's younger than most rookies. He did not have an OTA where he was in with people. He did not have preseason games where he could really start learning the things he said, you know, he's probably at a spot now where most rookie tight ends are around week one based on finally being able to get enough reps and be in practice and, and, and with the offense and everything. And I thought that was a fair point. And I've been hard on Cole for the first month or so of the season. We know tight ends take a long time to develop. We know Cole he's, he's 21 or just turned 21, whatever he is. Is this a thing where Cole Komet, the criticism he received the first six weeks of the season was unfair because of the fact that this offseason was so bizarre? Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, again, as I mentioned, tackle. Tight end is also a position that we've seen historically. Um, you're not expecting much uh, in the first year from a tight end. So I think we had to have our expectations tempered a bit. Um, and, 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 and that's been the case so far, you know, he finally broke through and had this, you know, his first career touchdown, but it was also, you know, his second career, uh, reception. So I think we do need to be patient, but I have been very encouraged. Um, his pass blocking has been good. Um, and, and that's right now really like what he can bring, the most value he can bring to the bears is, is being that inline guy. Um, you know, you mentioned, I saw, you mentioned, um, Owen Kruitz was talking about how. Komet has finally kind of taken the job and you said, well, did he take it or did Demetrius Harris lose it? And it was great that Cruz said, no, he's taken it. So I, I still don't think we're going to see some like big uptick in, in targets. I don't think he's going to become, you know, like you said, he's not going to become their second weapon or anything like that. But if we can see his snaps go from 30 a game up to 50, 60 a game and, and, and he's in there, you know, playing most of the game on offense, that's really encouraging. And then I think next year is when you, you, you start to work him into the offense and he starts to really become a focal point, you know, in the passing game. Let, let me ask you about Nagy and Foles together, uh, because this offense, we know what it was limited with Trubisky. It wasn't exactly what Matt Nagy envisioned his offense would be. He switches to Foles because Foles, you know, forget the Falcons game. That was a great comeback, but he switches to Foles because he, he thinks he can do his offense with Foles. You want to cut him a break that they have need a little time. Tampa, Indy, those are some tough defenses. 
the Carolina game, I kind of circled and said, this is a game where I, I, I want to see more Matt Nagy, Nick Foles, what he wants to do. I didn't see enough of what I was expecting. They did put up 23 points, which if, if the Bears average 23 points a game the rest of the way, they're going to win a ton of football games because the defense is going to give you giving up below 20 unless something catastrophic happens. So where are you with this Nagy Foles offense and where do you think it can go? So I'm with you 100% that I had this game circled, um, and I, I probably even tweeted, like, they need to score 30 points. I need to see that because this is a, a, one of the worst defenses on paper, I think, uh, in the last couple of years. But but I'm actually – that being said, I actually was not discouraged by the game on Sunday. Um, they didn't score, uh, obviously, 30 points, but they moved the ball pretty consistently almost the entire game. Uh, I mean, again, they didn't run particularly well, but to be honest with you, I think Matt Nagy and Nick Foles – are adopting something that we've seen across the league where I think they're using quick out passes as the run game. You know, I think they're throwing slants for five yards where Foles literally hikes it and throws through a hot immediately. And that's essentially their run game now. So I agree it's going to get better. I think it's going to grow. I think the, the funniest and, and coolest development, and I said, I can't blame Trubisky for this, but Foles giving feedback to Nagy and telling him what's working and what's not working telling him, don't you ever effing call a timeout when I have rhythm and we're up-tempo again. Like, that stuff's huge because I, I think Nagy has proven to me that he's open to feedback, which is great because not all coaches are. Um, and that's only going to get better as they both feed off each other and tell each other what's working what's not. As, as Foles develops chemistry and all that, I do think it's going to be kind of like a, you know, whatever the expression, a healthy tide rises all boats thing. I don't think it's going to be individuals. I think they're all just going to collectively get better. Yeah, the one thing I've seen that that has me the most encouraged is because, you know, I, I came out as, you know, I, I was dubbed by many of the, the Bears Twitter folks as a Trubisky hater, which really isn't true. This was a guy I was behind, I was supporting, and last year I gave up hope on him. It was right around the Saints game where I threw up my hands and, and said that's enough. But the one thing about the Trubisky offense is because I've had people say, oh, you wanted Nick Foles and they're scoring roughly the same amount of points. There's no, no improvement. Blah, 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 blah. The one thing I will say that I've seen improvement on for Trubisky's games, for the most part, it seemed the Bears would either go three and out or get points all the time. They'd either, you know, most of the time it was three and out, but it, otherwise that they they'd put together a drive or they'd have a big play. They'd at least get a field goal, maybe a touchdown. But there were so many three and outs. These last couple of weeks with Foles here, I'm seeing a lot more at least seven or eight play drives. And while that doesn't sound exciting because you're still not getting points on the board, what you're doing is getting the midfield and then you're pinning the other team at the eight yard line and you're telling your defense to go out there and keep them back. Then the Bears can start again fresh at midfield and you win the field position battle. And it's not sexy football. It's not exciting football. It's how a lot of teams used to play in the 80s and 90s. But at least now we're seeing movement in the football and, and, and with the offense, which is giving me hope that they are at least trending in the right direction. No, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I think people would probably take this as a narrative, but it's almost like, you know, the old expression about something. But you know offensive rhythm when you see it, right? Like, I can't define it to you, but you know offensive rhythm when you see it. And it just looks like a comfortable offense. Like, I'm not stressed on every every throw. And I think the key that you said there as well, uh, and it ties back into me talking about how their run game is kind of a passing game. They're having these sustained long drives that are taking, you know, seven, eight minutes off the clock, where, like you said, it's seven, eight plays or maybe even more. That is so critical for how good this defense is 
them playing 40 minutes, no one can do that. No, no elite defense can do that. So if they win the time of possession game and, as you mentioned, the field position game, which comes from, like you said, you're not going to score every drive, but the alternative can't be a three and out. I could, I could not agree more. And I do think eventually those, those drives are going to convert into points, both touchdowns, you know, opposed to field goals, but even field goals as well. You know, the end of the half was great. I mean, Santos kicking a 55-yarder was probably not what you're looking for. They wasted all their timeouts and probably could have scored a touchdown, but now I'm being nitpicky. But, but yeah, I completely agree that the offense is now not a hindrance on the defense. At the very least, it's neutral. And, and, and with how good this defense is, that's kind of all you need. All right, a few more for you before I let you go. Uh, let's do Matt Nagy here for a second because my Twitter account this week has just been a complete battleground for Nagy supporters and Nagy haters. And look, I get that Matt Nagy is an offensive-minded coach. I get that Matt Nagy came in here to do this modern offense, and I think people were expecting 31 points a game and all this sexiness, and we haven't seen it. And whether you want to blame Matt Nagy's play calling, whether you want to blame the offensive line, you want to blame Trubisky, you want to blame a combination of 50 things, whatever you want to do, I, I, I think there's criticism there that's fair. But Matt Nagy is still the same guy that is 23 and 13 has come off to a tremendous start. He had an eight and eight team that felt like they were four and 12, but they were able to scrape out some victories last year. This year, they're off to a good start. Where are you? And I, uh, it's a two-parter. Where are you in terms of Matt Nagy, the offensive mind and Matt Nagy, the head coach? Another perfect way to put that. Cause I think the way I look at head coaches is probably there's like three aspects to a head coach. It's, you know, culture and locker room building. It's actual play calling and X's and O's. And then it's game management. Um, so I will say my opinion on Nagy fluctuates a lot. I, I've been a staunch defender for, for a long time and I, and I still am on a play calling basis. I know he definitely still makes some questionable decisions like, you know, throwing the ball when you're trying to waste time at the end of the game on like a third down before a punt, you know, that happened I think twice against the Panthers. But I've always been a guy that said, hey, you know what? I want you to go and try to get the first down. I'll take the stop clock. I know that's not a conventional way to look at it, but I am getting really, really concerned with the game management. I mean, they drew a penalty out of two timeouts against the Panthers. They called a, a timeout to avoid a delay a game, then had a delay a game after the timeout. And then on a second one, they called a timeout when they were trying to make a goal line stand. And then Akeem Hicks in a very obvious situation where the offense was just trying to draw them off sides, jumped off sides. So that cannot happen. And I don't care that it's players making mistakes in my opinion, one of the greatest ways to look at a coach is penalties. I mean, the Patriots have had the fewest penalties in the NFL almost every year for the last 20 years. The Ravens are in the same boat. You can go ahead and guess why that is. So I still am going to defend the guy's play calling and, and how he goes about games. I don't care. They don't have a run game. I really don't. I'm sorry. But 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 they got to clean up some, some of the stuff with, with timeouts and all that. Because like I mentioned before, they would have had a chance to score a touchdown at the end of the half. And we're doing a lot of results over process, being happy with that drive because Conor Santos even kicking a 55-yard yard field goal is a failure on that drive, in my opinion. Yes, it went in, great, but that's you're not counting on that to go in. So, sure. and and they and they didn't have two timeouts they would have had, and the two timeouts they called both resulted in penalties afterwards, anyway. So stuff like that, I need to see growth there. But I mean, the culture in this locker room is incredible. Even handling the, the switch from quarterbacks, it seems like it's going somewhat smoothly. 
So I still like the guy. I think he's a phenomenal leader of men, but I do, I'm getting concerned a bit. It's, it's very Andy Reid-like, unfortunately, but I need to see it grow from the game management aspect. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And, and look, there's a point of Nagy where he's aggressive, where he wants to get those first downs, finish off the game, take victory formation and get out. But at the same time, you're sitting there going, this, this didn't work for most of the game. Why do you think it's suddenly going, going to work when, when you just, if you just handed the ball off, yeah, you may not get the first down, but you're going to eat 40 seconds off the clock. I like that he has confidence in his guys that they can execute and do that. But at the same time, I want to sit there as a coach and be like, you have to be objective of where your offense is and know that you aren't at a point where you can really trust them to complete that ball and keep the clock moving. So it's, it's, it's very, you know, there's hit and miss there with Nagy, but I think he's a great leader of men and maybe down the line, there's going to be some changes on how the offense is, is executed. It's not going to be with this coaching staff. I don't think Nagy definitely doesn't want to give up play calling. So we'll, we'll see where that goes, but I, I think you still can't argue with the results, especially for bears fans. And, and I'm, I'm getting to Ryan pace here now in a second, you know, bears fans want to pile on Ryan pace because of the lack of talent in certain spots, but they want to say Matt Nagy was bailed out by the defense every year that Ryan Pace built. So it's, it's a little, you know, you know, you can't take from one column and put it in the other column. So let me move from Matt Nagy to Ryan Pace, because while they've put together this team that is working right now, and it's going to, looks like it's going to have two winning seasons in three years and no losing seasons. And, that, and that's great. They've done a lot of things with the salary cap to put this team together. They're putting money down the field. They went for Quinn and let Floyd go. There's, there's a lot of, intricacies on how they've made this fit under the cap. We don't know what the cap situation is going to be because of COVID and the lack of fans and the, and the decrease in revenue. So the bears moving forward, are they going to have a problem where they're getting into cap hell because of the way this roster was structured this year? Yeah. You know, I think it's inevitable. Um, I think you and I have spoken like pretty much all off season that, they, they were very clear that they were going all in on 2020 and uh, lucky is, is maybe the wrong word, but they're pretty lucky that they won some of those early games in the season against some bad teams, pulling out some, some rabbits out of hats because now it's going great. And I, 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 I honestly think at this point, like they're a lock to make the playoffs. Hopefully they can make some noise when they get there. And that was, this was the kind of the optimal, you know, what was going to, this is the best case scenario for, for bringing Foles in and all that. But after 2020, it's still very tricky. They are, so we mentioned the offensive line. So they're not particularly good at, at, at any spot really. And they can spend there. But like I said, the odds, you find a guy that's available, that's good, that still has good value is pretty low. They still, as we mentioned with Allen Robinson, they have, they have no wide receiver under contract that we know is like a bona fide stud. Um, so yeah, right there off the bat, I mean, you have no no weapons that you can rely on, and you have a shaky offensive line. I mean, that's that's cap hell right there by itself. Um, so yeah, it's going to be tricky. They're going to have to keep pushing money down the road. Um, it looks like Foles will probably probably earn some of those incentives we heard about too. So for all we know, his contract could actually be on the rise going forward, um, which would eat into their cap space even more next year. So he has his work cut out for him, absolutely. But I mean, the one the one reason he was able to do that was because he probably pitched, you know what, we'll have a good 2020. And yeah, it's going to be tough, but we'll go from there. So lucky for him, the, the good 2020 looks to be true. But no, regardless, 2021, that man is going to be very busy. All right. Uh, I meant to ask you this earlier, but so I'll ask you this now. 
trade deadlines coming up. We mentioned offensive line. Are there any other positions? Because, I mean, there's going to be teams that are selling if they can. I mean, the Jets clearly don't want to win any football games anymore. So is there any other positions on the football field that you think the Bears should be targeting for this trade deadline? I do. I think that they should be exploring um, cheap, uh, deep threats. I think that uh, they – they still don't have a guy that can like truly take the top off the defense on a consistent basis. You know, first name that comes to mind is like a John Ross in Cincinnati. I know it's, it's classic, like, you know, name association, the top 10 pick and all that. I'm not falling in love with that. I don't expect him to do much at all. Honestly, if you can acquire John Ross for a seventh round pick, you, you owe him about $1.4 million for the rest of the season. If he can just distract defenses and just pull safeties and, and, and pull attention away from, from other guys, I don't care if he has zero catches like that, that. That's a lot of value right there. So that would be the one spot I would say. I mean, I think they probably thought that with Ted Ginn. Seems like an awesome guy and all that, but I th- obviously the age is caught up with him. So I think they need a guy that just takes the top off of defense. Yep. All right. And Rams game coming up. What do you, uh, how do you think this outcome is going to go? This is a fun one because for the third season in a row, I mean, I think it's a pivotal game for both, for, for both teams, right? I, I think, you know, two years ago, you had the classic, you know, winter, you know, tough matchup where there were seven combined interceptions and, but it was the nine and four bears beating the 11 and one Rams, whatever it was. So obviously last year, the Rams game kind of ended the bear season, you know, in a way, I think it's going to be the same. I think it's going to be incredibly low scoring. And I think it's both defensive lines are going to dominate the opposing offensive line. It's a question of which defensive line dominates more. Um, that's who's going to win the football game. And I, I do like the bears. I think the spread is at is Rams minus five and a half, which I think is way too high. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, go above a field goal. I think the Rams are as much of a paper tiger as the bears are. I mean, they're four and zero against the NFC East and zero and two against everyone else. Um, so I think the winner of this game is going to come out of there looking like, okay, maybe this team is legit. And the loser is going to be the classic. Oh, they were, they were fake the whole, the whole time. I wouldn't go that far, but it's a big game. Yeah, I think it's a big game. I think it's a coin flip game. I love the Bears with the points, but in terms of picking a winner, it's definitely a coin flip right now. I don't know if they've even made up my mind yet, but there he is Brad Spielberger at PFF underscore Brad from Pro Football Focus. Brad, thanks for so much time. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was a great time. All right, there he is. Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Great spot there. Thanks for so much time from Brad. And he's got plenty of good points. There's plenty of positives on this Bears team, but there are some issues and some issues they could potentially address in the, you know, before the trade deadline coming up here, especially offensive line. I understand where Brad's going with a deep threat. I highly doubt the Bears are going to be looking at a deep threat. I could be wrong. I'm not saying I have any inside information there, but I think the Bears are are not going to do anything with wide receiver I mean, like, let's look at the wide receiver group for a second here. Anthony Miller is not getting benched because he's a playmaker. He's inconsistent. He makes way too many problems. The fact that he lost that first down against Carolina was beyond frustrating. Anthony Miller is really getting to the point. I just shaking my head. He's definitely not earning a second contract at this point unless he has a miraculous final year and a half on this rookie deal. But just Anthony Miller is just not putting it together at this point. But he's still going to get going to get reps. You know, Darnell Mooney's going to get reps. So you've got those three right off the top. Javon Wims is a guy who's playing a little bit on special teams. He, he, he adds a little bit as a blocker, so he's got a little bit of a, a role there. Riley Ridley can't get on the field. Ted Ginn, look, you could, I guess in theory, you could cut Ted Ginn and bring in someone like John Ross to replace him, but you can't bring a guy like John Ross in at the bottom of the, 
uh, at the bottom of the rotation because John Ross does not play special teams at all. He's made of glass. He can't handle special teams. He doesn't, he's not utilized on special teams. So that's not a wide receiver six who can also get special teams reps. So that's a tough spot there. But I just don't know if the Bears are going to address wide receiver. I'd love to see them try and get another threat like that. I just can't see it. Offensive lines where they really need to focus. They really need to get a little more punch there in the middle, especially with James Daniels out. So be very curious to see if, if a move is made there before the deadline coming up. But you know, we'll have to see. As for this Rams game, this is a good measuring stick for this this Bears team. It really is. You know, Brad Brad called it there. I agree. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be a defensive battle. Probably not as ugly as the game two years ago when Fangio's just shut the Rams down. And that's when that Rams offense was high power. That was as impressive as a defensive performance as I have ever seen. But I don't see it to that extent right now. I think I think it's a coin flip game. I really do. I have serious concerns right now about what Aaron Donald will do to this offensive line. Serious concerns. I mean, we saw Vita Vea be dominant, and Vea is a good, a very good player, but he's not Aaron Donald. James Daniels, a couple years ago, did such a good job on, on Donald. It was maybe one of his best performances of his career, at the, and he was a rookie at the time. But he's not there. You're going to have a really inexperienced player who's just not very good. It's you know Obviously, I know he's going to be double-teamed. They're going to do what they can to try and neutralize him. But he's going to be just a menace for a team that can't run the ball and isn't per, just consistently protecting Nick Foles. So that's going to be tough. And I'm going to say that that matchup right there is the reason why the Chicago Bears will not win. I know I told Brad I hadn't made up my mind, so I've made up my mind here five minutes later. I just can't see the Bears keeping Donald under control. I think he's going to be a menace. I think he'll stymie the offense enough. I do think it's low scoring. I think we're looking at something like 16-13 Rams with a coin flip game in the fourth quarter. So hopefully I'm wrong here. I've called a lot of these games right, but I've called plenty of them wrong. So it's going to be going to be an interesting one. And really, I think we're really starting to get a measuring stick of who this Bears team is. Because forget these early games. Forget the Colts game where Foles was his first start. Forget the fact that they beat the Falcons, the Giants, the Lions, you know, these bad teams at the beginning of the year. Focus on the fact that the last two weeks, Tampa and Carolina are solid football teams. Tampa just annihilated Green Bay. Carolina was on a three-game winning streak. These are pretty good football teams. The Bears beat them. The, the Rams are a pretty good football team. Tough to judge exactly where they are because the, all they've done is beaten the NFC East, but the Rams are a pretty good football team as well. So if the Bears can kind of put all this together, beat the Rams, I mean, they're at a point right now where if they, they these next three games are tough games. If they say win somehow win two out of three out of these next games, I believe Rams, Saints, and Titans, they're, other than the Packers, the rest of this schedule really opens up for them, and they could end up pushing not just 11, but maybe 12 or even 13 wins. But can't get too far ahead of ourselves. you got to beat the Rams first because it's a winnable game, but it's a challenging game. So we'll see what happens, and we will talk to you next week. There'll be plenty to discuss. Bear down, everybody. Talk to you soon. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. 
For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.